Are you that weirdo that loves a good get-rich-quick scheme? Well, then this is a podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Okay, well, hello there. Welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird, and we are both another year older Crypt Keepers. Yes, granny, panties, and crackly bones. And we like it that way. I couldn't be happier. Me too. I love getting older. Me too. Um, and speaking of getting older, I am drinking a very dignified drink for a proper old person. Uh, I have a apple cider bourbon sour. That sounds fantastic. It is so good. And it's super easy. I found at my local kitchen store, I found sweet and spicy maraschino cherries. Oh, I've never even seen those. Actually, no. They're Bordeaux cherries. So sweet and spicy Bordeaux cherries. And the syrup is a little bit cinnamony and a little bit chili pepper. So I put a little bit Mm -hmm. of syrup in there with a couple cherries, apple cider, bourbon. Mm, Bada bing, bada boom. Lemon juice. I almost said lemon sauce. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm going to start calling it, actually. (laughs) I love that. Anyways, it's delicious and fantastic. And per usual recipe and pictures will be up on our Instagram. You know, typically I'm not a maraschino cherry gal. That's all you Mm -hmm. all day long. Yeah. But those ones actually sound very, very good. They're delicious. Check out that drink recipe. And thank you for joining us for happy hour. Yes. I forgot to say that at the top. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. We are still on our Vegas block. And this is true crime in Vegas, baby. Viva Las Vegas. If we split up the song like that, I think we won't get sued. I think you're right. I think you're onto something. That's the loophole. (laughs) That's the fucking loophole. You should be a lawyer. (laughs) Obviously. All right. I will go first this week. Sounds good. All right. So I am talking about one of the most infamous armor car heist in the history of Las Vegas. Nay, the world. And it happened in Las Vegas. And my source for this is the heist docuseries on Netflix. I just got goosebumps because are you in for a wild fucking ride? Yes. All right. Heather Tallchief was born in 1972 in Buffalo, New York. Her teenage parents split by the time Heather was two, and her dad was awarded custody. Her dad was not equipped to raise a child. There was a lot of drinking and drugs in their house. And in fact, the kids would wake up in the morning and sift through a sea of passed out adults looking for their dad. Um, just so they could get a ride to school. Oh, no. Yeah. Eventually, her dad was like, I can't take care of a kid. And a a frequent party goer named Cindy was looking for a place to stay. And he said, hey, why don't you stay here? We can keep partying and you can help me watch my daughter. So Heather and Cindy had an extremely tumultuous relationship they Cindy was abusive she would tell Heather things like you're a failure nobody's gonna love you your own mom doesn't even love you which her mom had um pretty much abandoned her to go live another life which is so fucked up to treat a child like that I grow a child growing up in a place that has no love no tenderness no affection and only cruelty and meanness is so detrimental I just can't even imagine how fucked up Heather felt when she left that house that is awful what is wrong with people yeah Cindy I would say Cindy sounds like the devil but I actually think the devil's better than Cindy so that's saying a lot (laughs) Uh, All right, so fast forward to 1993. Heather is barely 20, barely 21. She's a certified nursing assistant, and she's working on the AIDS ward in in a San Francisco hospital. Wow. Yeah. Heather 
got super attached to her patients, as I'm assuming most nurses do if they ha- mm-hmm. are a caring person. And having a front row seat to the suffering and horror of the AIDS epidemic was more than Heather could handle. So, so hard. Yes. And after watching a 20-something pass away in front of her eyes, a co-worker offered crack cocaine. Oh, no. And she was looking for an escape, a combination of a terrible childhood and a really traumatic work experience. She said yes. And basically after that, her life started to spiral out of control. She lost her job, lost her friends, didn't have a dollar to her name. And this was the perfect time for Roberto Solis to insert himself into her life. So a little background on Roberto Solis. He brutally killed a Loomis guard during a botched robbery, and he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in San Quentin. Oh, shit. Yeah. While in prison, Roberto began to write poetry. He actually wrote and published five poetry books. And from what I've seen, he was kind of a beautiful poet. He wrote a lot about sex and a lot about being um, caged in prison and a lot about emotions. And he also wrote under the name Pancho Agula. His poems were considered so good, they impressed the parole board and they fucking early released his ass for his poetry. What? Yes. This poetry melted my heart yes you're free can you imagine and a bunch no. of a, a bunch of famous poets kind of rallied around him and wrote letters and did testimonies to the po- parole board and that also contributed to him being released early he only served 20 years for brutally killing a security guard in cold blood oh my god this is like oh i can't think of his name horrible guy who was released from prison early and then went to LA and murdered oh the um women the Dutch guy I yeah that that's the same thing they're like you're a great writer you can't be a terrible person guess what you can be both yeah a good poet and a murderer cannot exist in the same body you're one or the other and you're a good poet bro (laughs) you're out of here that's 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 the reasoning I don't understand why people think that if you're good at one thing, you can't also be a terrible human being. It's like that, uh, like the, the, I I call it like the Hollywood syndrome. Like people think because famous people Mm -hmm. are famous and beautiful that they're automatically good people when most of them are just fucking demons wearing skin suits. Like it's (laughs) wild to me. So when someone tells me like, oh, I love that celebrity, I'm like, do you? Do you love them? Or do you love the character that they play? (laughs) Like they literally would sell you to get a role in a movie. They wouldn't piss on you if if you you were on fire. (laughs) Um, I don't know which one of us was right on that scene. I think both. both. It counts for both. (laughs) If you're on fire and asking for water, they still would not piss on you. No, no, they wouldn't. Uh, All right, so this brings us to a small bar in San Francisco. Heather was there drinking, and Roberto comes up to her and says, quote, can I buy you a drink or something? Did you have to put that in a quote? (laughs) (laughs) That's what they quoted in the show. (laughs) So I I didn't know, but that's what she said he said. So I'm like, that counts for a quote, right? I thought it was going to be like a poem line, but it was just, can I buy you a drink? (laughs) Um, So Heather looks at him. She doesn't have any money. She wants to keep drinking. And she's like, ah, sure. Why not? Well, over that drink, he asked her, quote, do you believe in the devil? (gasps) And she says, well, if I believe in the devil, don't I have to believe in God? And by this time, she was sucked in. He was charismatic. He was handsome. And he was intriguing to her. 
And she was at this point in her life, she was in the perfect position to be gobbled up by someone who had nefarious intentions. She didn't have a good childhood. She's probably insecure, looking for love, didn't have money, was in the throes of drug addiction. Like she was a prime target for a manipulator like Roberto. And he probably sensed that. Oh, these kind of people, they can spot someone out of, you know, they can spot somebody Mm -hmm. In a crowd Mm -hmm. that is in this vulnerable state. Yes. They are masters at it. That's why they call them master manipulators. I watched this show one time and it's so fascinating to me. Um, A psychologist sat down with two narcissistic abusers and asked them, what is it that you look for in a victim? And they said, "It's it's insecurity and usually... If you give someone a compliment and they can't accept it, that's a first indicator. And they said they walk into a room and know within 10 minutes who's a good victim. Terrifying. Yeah. I'm like, anyone gives me a compliment, I'm saying, I know. No shit. Yeah. Thanks for noticing. And I don't want a drink. I want <laughs> mozzarella sticks. So fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right. So then after some conversation, Roberto then asked, do you want to do a line? And she's like, did I just meet my dream man? And she said, fuck yeah. Like, say no more. Say less, please. Say less. And they went to his apartment. And when she got there, she, this was like, she was like, huh? If if she had to send this in an emoji, it'd be like the brain exploding emoji. She gets to his apartment and he has an altar. He has cards everywhere. He has bones. He has all this kind of stuff. And she's like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's my altar where I goddess worship. And she said, what's that? And he's like, I do a little bit of satanic worship. I do a little bit of pagan worship. I do a little bit of mysticism and also sex magic. What? Yes. No wonder you picked this story. <laughs> U-S-O-B. <laughs> and by that, I mean sassy, over the top, broad. <laughs> This guy is, he has a lot going on. He does have a lot going on. (laughs) He's the maximalist of spirituality. He really is. So he had all this shit everywhere. And she said when she met Roberto, she was, you know, again, in this really dark place. And she was kind of lost. And the word she used was disjointed. And, you know... She lost her career. She had just experienced tra- trauma in the AIDS ward at the hospital. Her her childhood was terrible. And here comes this charismatic, tall, dark, handsome, mysterious man with all this like new and interesting belief system. And she said it gave her a sense of purpose. It gave her direction. She said, quote, he was a stillness in the middle of a storm. Wow. Um, and then he began to wine and dine her which we know is love bombing now you know rose petals instant like love and attention and affection he made her feel like a queen there was white doves and rose petals and flowers and she said it it just was like a love that she had never experienced before and she was immediately hooked And she moved in with him not long after they met. Then a couple months later, they moved to Vegas. On the way to Vegas, they stopped at a mall and robbed a store and got three grand and then used that money to get to Vegas and live off while they're in Vegas. And Heather's idea when they got to Vegas was, you know, get a couple nine to fives, kind of live in Vegas, do the, you know, everyday life and Um, Roberto had totally different plans. He wanted material wealth. He wanted to be rich and he did not want to work for it. And he was constantly coming up with these get rich quick schemes. Like he would sell a boat for more money. He would buy it cheap and then resell it. He would do the same thing with art and it just, it would work for a little bit, but they were really starting to run out of money. So then they got into this sex magic. Bow chicka bow wow. Yes. Uh, and Heather explained it like this. So the epitome of sex is the orgasm. And when you 
orgasm. It expels energy. And I kind of explained this and touched on this in our spiritualism block. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about a spiritualist who also was into sex magic. Uh, so when you expel this energy and you don't harness it, it kind of goes into the what ether, right? Or the mm-hmm. universe. It kind of goes out there. And the purpose of sex magic is to perform rituals during sex to harness this energy and then you use that energy to manifest. So they did that. They had very ritualistic sex. Roberto told Heather that her job or her body was a vessel for this energy. And every time she orgasmed, they harnessed this and they would use it to manifest to become rich. They didn't know how they were going to get rich, but they just manifest that they wanted material wealth. They wanted opulence. They wanted utopia. And it was after all of this sex magic and like stored up energy that Roberta was like, hey, have you ever had a security job? Why don't you get a job at Loomis Armored Car? And Heather was like, all right, (laughs) sure, whatever you want. So... Loomis Armored Car, if you don't know, is a company that delivers cash to businesses, specifically ATMs. So in Vegas, what they would do is they would go to the casinos and they would put the cash in the ATMs for the casinos. So at any point during their route, they could be carrying $1 million to $5 million, depending on what day where they were in their route. Heather had never had a security job she just moved to vegas didn't know vegas the streets and she just got a license uh, like two months before she applied to loomis i'm sorry and do you know what year this is this is 1993 okay so sorry i didn't say that uh, no map you said it earlier yeah there's no ways there's no gps there's it you're winging it on the streets you're Going solely by your sense of direction. Yeah, crazy. I, about way before GPS, digital GPS, I tried to use my sense of direction one time. I drove around for three hours. (laughs) So that, it's, it's not easy, people. You used to have to print out maps. Oh my God, I remember that. You remember the folded up little map quest that you'd have on your (laughs) road? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we are old. It's okay. I love it. I love being old. I, I'm only aging like a fine wine, in my opinion, which is the only one that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. So Heather goes into this Loomis who was hiring, and they gave her the job for two reasons. She walked in, and I haven't mentioned this, but Heather Tallchief was incredibly beautiful. And she was charismatic. And at the time, Loomis had to hire a certain number of females. Mm-hmm. So she goes in. She's charming. She's beautiful. And they have to hire females. You got the job. When can you start? Tomorrow. She goes. She does this job. She's driving around Vegas. So it's her as a driver. And then there's two guards in the back. So she pulls up to the casinos. The two guards get out with the bags of cash they go in they fill the atms they come back heather goes to the next stop they interviewed the guards and they said heather was a terrible driver she accidentally (laughs) hit one of them with a truck one time she got lost constantly she never stopped at stop signs and she drove she drove with both of her feet so like one on the stop the brake and one on the gas Maybe, I mean, I don't want to tell anybody how to do their job, but maybe when you're hiring somebody to drive, maybe just drive with them for five minutes. (laughs) And she got a gun. Oh, my God. They gave her a gun. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. So she's doing this armored truck thing. It's going fine. And then Roberto starts asking questions when she comes home. And it starts out, how was your day? Then it gets to, where did you, excuse me, where did you go today? How much cash did you have today? How busy was it today? You know, how busy were you at 9 o'clock compared to 10 a.m.? You know, all of these kind of questions. And then he tells her to write her route down and bring it home so he can study it. So she is 
she's no dummy. She knew that Roberto was a convicted felon. He was on the run when he met her. She knew that he was a dangerous man. And she said he was chaotic. Their life was chaotic. And she was 100% totally addicted to the chaos. It was sexy and it was exciting. So she knew by this time what where he was kind of going with this questioning. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point where he started following her around on her routes to see where she stopped, to see what they did, to see how busy it was. And then he rented a garage in Vegas and he put a sign, he had a sign made that said armored truck repair. It was an empty garage. It was totally a front, but it had this big sign that said armored truck repair. I just, so just any vacant shack, just put a sign on it and it's that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's all you need. You just need the sign. And then it was like armored trucks going in and out. No big deal. We do repairs here. FBI, federal booby, what is it? Female body inspector? Yes. Like there, that's what this one is next door. (laughs) Just whatever you want it to be, just by the sign. And she actually talked to the neighbor of that garage, a man renting the neighboring garage. And he was like, hey, how's it going? What are you doing here? And she's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And she said Roberto was so upset with her that he told her, don't you ever talk to anybody. They could identify you later. Well, that actually makes sense. I thought he was just jealous. She said at this point that he was not a dumb criminal either. Like he had this whole thing plotted out. And Roberto seemed to have this vendetta against Loomis and if you remember, I said earlier, he was in prison for murdering a Loomis guard during a botched robbery. And he fully, fully believed that Loomis owed him for those times, that the time that he spent in prison. Like, it was their fault. They owed him. I mean, it was their fault that he was a piece of shit that committed an armed robbery and then murdered a guard? Yeah. And it was, and he had Heather convinced the same thing that she was owed this you know opulence and this wealth and and as well as him so but it was about this time that heather started to get a little bit cold feet and she's like i don't know like this maybe i'm in over my head she realized i am like in this deep in it and i'm a little bit over my head and kind of began not to refuse but maybe have some trepidation and he had her watch these self-hypnotizing videos and you'd watch this video and then you could hypnotize yourself to basically do anything. So she would watch these videos and say, we're going to be rich. We're going to do this. We're going to get away with it. And just, and she realized too that she loved him and she felt that he loved her, but that didn't mean that he wasn't a dangerous person. And he was a person that, she, that you didn't say no to. Missed opportunity that I didn't get you that self-hypnosis videotape. <laughs> Do you think I can find it on VHS? The same copy? Um, I, I'm hoping. I was actually into it because I'm the only person I trust to hypnotize me. <laughs> yeah. You you hate hypnotism only based on the fact that there is a hypnotist involved. So if it's yourself, I wonder what if could go could wrong. do that. Your husband's going to come home and you're just acting like a chicken for seven hours because <laughs> you were the hypnotist and the hypno what hypnotist and hypnotisty <laughs> I could just I'm just picturing me watching these videos and someone in the background like my kids say something totally absurd and then I just end up being that for a whole day mm-hmm. they're like unicorn with one leg yeah you're just hopping around with an ice cream cone glued to your forehead <laughs> yes October 1st 1993 comes around and this is the day this is the day that they've been building up to it's now or never. Heather wakes up. She got ready for work as usual. Roberto packed some bags. He was super serious, super focused. He headed to the garage to wait for her and she headed to work. The day that the heist happened, they had around $4 million in the armored truck. And the first stop was Circus Circus. And they picked this day specifically because... The first stop, they had the most money in the truck. And Circus Circus was particular because of the layout. When she dropped the guards off, she didn't wait in the same spot. She dropped them off. They filled the ATMs. And then she had to drive around the building to pick them up at a different spot. 
And also this job was one of the biggest, so it took the longest. So she had the most time to get away without anybody realizing she was gone. So she drops the guys off. And instead of driving around the building, waiting at the pickup door, she drives straight to the garage where Roberto is waiting. Now the guys get out and they're like, did this dumb bitch (laughs) drive to the next spot? Did she go to the wrong door? Because she constantly went to the wrong door. She constantly forgot the routes. She constantly went, did, fucked up something. Basically her own incompetence ended up working in her favor because they're like, oh, she's just an idiot. Precisely. So they're there standing at the door with these empty canvas bags or with a little bit of leftover money that didn't fit in the ATM. And they're thinking this dumb idiot is probably driving around somewhere looking for us. Little did they know. So she heads to the garage and they are packing. She gets there. She said, Roberto is intense and he is highly focused. And she said, and this is a time when she begins to see this Jekyll and Hyde, this love bomber versus the criminal, dangerous criminal come out. So he is agitated. He's telling her to get out of the effing truck, give me your effing gun and change your clothes. The guards contact the police. The police show up, go to interview them. Meanwhile, Heather is at this garage changing into disguise. So the police are looking for an armored truck and a young, beautiful Heather Tallchief. What they should have been looking for is an old woman because they fucking disguised her as an old woman. Wow. Which I think is kind of genius. It is genius, but I just feel like there's some major holes in this plan long term, but I'll let you get to it. Okay. So... The police get there. They talk to the guards. They interview them. You know, whatever's happening at the garage, we'll get to that. They think, the police immediately think, okay, there's this Heather Tall Chief. Hasn't worked for Loomis very long. Couple months. She's sitting in an armored truck by herself. A young, uh, perceived, uh, defenseless woman. She was kidnapped by someone who was looking to rob Loomis. So that's what they started off with. So they were like, we got to find Heather. She's in danger. They release the choppers. There's cops. They get the FBI involved because this is a federal crime. It's a big deal. So Roberto and Heather were in the garage. She puts on her old lady disguise. They box up all the money in huge boxes. They get into a sedan and they head to a private jet that they bought rented and then they pay for cash yes so on the way to the private jet they mail all these boxes to miami oh my god okay so they get on this private jet her dress is an old lady they take the private jet to colorado they get off in colorado they take the train to st louis they stop and they buy some more clothes in st louis and then they zigzag across the country from st louis to miami where they mailed the money they get to miami they pick up the money and they get a hotel room Wow. And then Heather can get out of her old lady disguise. This whole time she's been disguised as an old woman. Which coincidentally just looked exactly like me and Cassie. (laughs) Yes. So when they get to Miami in this hotel room, they unbox all the money. They unwrap it from the plastic. And Heather's like, I want to live this moment of like what movies are made of. I want to pile all the money and lay in it, kick around in it. We'll have some sex magic on it. Yeah. She said it was... Scrooge McDuck. (laughs) Yes. She said it was actually so uncomfortable and it smelled disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd want to do the same thing though. I actually like her and I know she's a criminal, but I I empathize and I sympathize with her. I think you will come to like her even more as I continue. Okay. So they're in Miami. They're hiding out. By this time, it's all over the news. Her face is all over the news. That that neighbor that she talked to called the police. Damn it. Yes. So he (laughs) told them, hey, kind of got this weird neighbor, armored car repair. I never saw any armored cars um, go in and out of it. So they get to the garage. They find the empty armored car. They find a couple of leftover bills that have spilled out. They run prints and they discover Roberto Solis is involved. So then they start to research him, find out he's like 
a manipulator, a criminal. They're like, this is not good. They first assume that maybe he had forced her to do it, and then they quickly come to find that she was actually an accomplice and went along with it. There in Miami, Roberto isn't the best at monogamy. <laughs> so he finds this woman, Marlene, and they use Marlene to run their errands because they can't go out. They're all over the news. So Marlene gets their groceries and picks some stuff up. And all the while, they're having a sexual relationship, the three of them, which wasn't necessarily something that Heather wanted to do, but she kind of knew it came with the territory. She said that she was pretty jealous of Marlene and Roberto's relationship. They're in Miami. Why are they not getting fake IDs, fake passports, and getting the fuck out? They do. So they stay in Miami for a little bit. Um, the FBI finally traces, finds their trail and traces it to Miami. Well, Marlene and Roberto had packed all of the money in the biggest suitcases they could find and flew it on a private jet to St. Martin's. And they told Heather, meet us in St. Martin's in a little bit. So the FBI gets to Miami. They find the hotel that Heather's staying at. They go in, they do a bust. She had just left and booked a room for another hotel. And the next day she was on a plane to St. Martin. So they were always one step ahead. So Heather gets to St. Martin's and wouldn't you know, Roberto and Marlene are living their best life in this house on the beach. And she gets there and she's like, oh, nice. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. You kind of like ditched me and I come here and it's like some love nest. They live in St. Martin for a little bit. Uh, She wasn't happy with the thruple situation, but she dealt with it. Um, Eventually, Marlene got tired, went back to Miami, but Heather couldn't do that. She was a fugitive now. She was a fugitive the minute she drove away from Circus Circus. So her and Roberto, they buy a bunch of guns because she knew this guy's not going back to prison. He, It's like do or die. They buy a bunch of guns. They have a ton of guns. They have a ton of money. They're just like living on the beach. But they knew eventually it was going to catch up to them. She gets pregnant. So they're living there for – it's about eight months since the robbery. And they decide they need to move on. They research countries that don't expedite. And they found that the Netherlands doesn't expedite. So they found a Dutch agency that issued them fake passports. And they're headed for Amsterdam. They get there. She gives birth to a son. And they kind of live every day pretty normally. Um, It's a little bit tumultuous. You know, Roberto's a manipulator. He's a narcissist, a sociopath, whatever you want to label it. He's not super good at being good yes yeah yeah (laughs) and his glitz is starting to tarnish a bit and she's starting to come to terms with all right there is something more important than roberto i have a son now i'm a mother i want to provide a good life for my son and these get rich quick this fast chaotic life isn't just doing it for me anymore so when roberto starts to see another woman that was kind of the final straw for Heather. And she's like, I'm out. Uh, I'm going to stay in Amsterdam. I'll take our son. I'll raise him. I'll do whatever. He didn't bat an eye. Didn't care. Didn't question it. Just was like, okay, bye. I'm happy she left. Yeah, me too. She took her son. They stayed in Amsterdam and they got new passports and they became Donna and Dylan Eaton. She met a man. They fell in love, they got married, and for seven, eight years, she raised Dylan as Donna Eaton, and they lived this totally normal, well-rounded, well-adjusted life. But the thing with the passport she got is they only lasted 10 years, so she knew that she had this big clock, this big hourglass counting down till she had to either get a new passport, figure it out, or do whatever. And Roberto disappeared. He was in the wind. He took the money and was gone. She saw none of that money and hadn't talked to him in years. Gone. They didn't split it? No. What the? I think he gave her $10,000 when she left, and that was it. Or she took ten grand when she left, and that was all she got. So 10 years is up. And Heather 
tall chief needs to renew her passport. Life as a fugitive has really taken a toll on her. And she decides she wants to go back to the United States. And the only way that she can do that is turn herself in. So she gets a lawyer in the States and she tells him the situation and he's like, okay, we'll get you back to the States. You're going to turn yourself in and we're going to do this, this, you know, smoothest way that we possibly can. We're not going to roll over. You're not going to take accountability. Just tell your truth and we'll get through this. So she tells her son who she really is. And she just felt like she was stuck in this life that wasn't hers, that she was stuck being someone who she wasn't. And it, it she was just done. She felt as if she was in prison without being in prison. So she was looking at a ton of federal charges, fraud, embezzlement, crossing lines, international travel, fake passport, use of a firearm during a robbery. I mean, these this is hardcore prison time. She goes, she turns herself in, they talk about it, she pleads guilty, they go to her sentencing, and she says at her sentencing, I was in love with Roberto, I was fully under his spell, but I want to atone for what I did, I want to make this right, I want to do my time. And the judge said, I believe you. I believe he manipulated you. I believe he used you, but there are consequences to your actions. She pled guilty to two counts of embezzlement and one count of false passport. And she was sentenced five years in federal prison. She served five years and then she reassimilated. Is that it? Assimilated back into mm-hmm. everyday life and has her son and is living um, in secrecy, low-profile lifestyle, and Roberto Solis has never been found to this day. Never been found or heard of. She thinks he's dead. And the most one of the most interesting things about this documentary, and you don't find this out until the end, is Heather was narrating this thing. She was basically giving an interview they would show parts reenactments and then she would sit and give this interview and you find out at the end the woman giving the interview isn't heather tall chief it's a actress and i feel like she got her perfectly like she captured her spirit i was Mm -hmm. blown away to find that it was an actress she because roberto solis was still at large and she feared for Mm -hmm. her safety she decided to remain um anonymous anonymous and hidden wow yeah heather made history by being the highest ranking female on the fbi's most wanted list at number three and she was required to pay restitution to loomis um but she is living a low profile somewhere in the united states and I just think that's an amazing story and I feel like it's a tragic story and she got caught up with a total dirt bag and she um, came clean. And at the beginning of this documentary, she said, this isn't a crime story. This is a love story. Oh, I like that. And it was just, I just felt like it was such a fascinating human experience. And that's why I chose it. And the sex magic, of course. Obviously, the sex magic. <laughs> that is a really fascinating story. I think it shows how much, like you said, it weighed on her being in hiding, being kind of living this secret life on the run. Because if she hadn't have turned herself in, she would have probably never been caught because he never was. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he had all the money. Mm-hmm. I hate him and I really like her. Yeah, I do. I really, um, I wouldn't say found myself relating to her but I found that she was relatable I found myself relating to her unfortunately (laughs) uh not for any good reasons no me neither but some things and it's kind of that thing where you know not to put too much pressure on people like me that has constant anxiety all the time about every decision I ever have made in my life but you just make a couple of small decisions and all of a sudden your entire life is different yes You know, if she hadn't been in that bar that night, her entire life 
would have been different. Yes. So it was, I wonder if she still practices, uh, this is personal information, but I wonder if she still practices sex magic. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> That's why you're a, what did I say? Saucy, over the top broad? I think so. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. All right. All right. Give me your best. Give me best your best. shot. Yeah. Best shot. Okay. Uh, my story is also from obviously Las Vegas, but also from 1993. <gasps> no. We had the same people working these cases. There's okay. a lot fucking going on in Vegas in 1993. Oh, to be a fly on the wall of a casino in Vegas 1993. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to name a couple of my sources and then I'll have the rest of them listed on our show notes because I have a few. So I used a couple of old LA Times from the 90s articles, which you know I love. I watched a YouTube video, um, and I read a couple of other articles. The YouTube video was called Vegas Abduction, the Inside Story of the Kevin Wynn Kidnapping, which is by Tom O'Connell, and he has a podcast called Vegas Fed. Oh, I haven't listened to the full podcast, but um, it's out there. So if you want to learn more about Vegas, check it out. Okay. So like I said, it's 1993. July 26, 1993 in Las Vegas. Kevin Wynn, who is the daughter of Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn being the chairman of Mirage Resorts, went about her routine as usual So Kevin, she went to work, she worked in retail, then she hit up the gym, and then met her family for dinner before heading home for the night. Unfortunately, that is where the normalcy and safety of Kevin's day ended. Can I just say love that her name is Kevin? I was going to say that too. So her name originally was Kevin spelled K-E-V-I-N, like the traditional I guess, masculine version. But when she got older, she changed the I to a Y. So it's K-E-V-Y-N. And it's so cute. And it's kind of ties in with Wynn because Wynn has a Y in it. Yeah, it's, I love it. I wonder if they called her Kevy. Um, I like to think so. I'm changing my name to Kevin and call me Kevy. Okay. Where was I? Steve and Kevin. Perfect. <laughs> so at 10 p.m., Kevin Wynn entered her home at Spanish Trolls Country Club, which was a gated community. Upon entry, she was met with two men, their faces covered with stocking masks and armed with guns. They instructed Kevin not to look at them and quickly covered her eyes with tape, which I hate that. I hate tape on the face. I know. I mean, I'm a fuzzy little peach and that is like my worst nightmare. Please don't I hate it. rip my peach fuzz off. Then the intruders told Kevin, who was beyond petrified, of course, mm-hmm. to remove all of her clothing except <gasps> for her underwear. She begged them not to harm her, fearing what anyone would fear at this moment. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how terrifying this would be. This is, this is horrible. I think the undress part of it adds a whole other layer of horror I mean Mm -hmm. you feel so vulnerable already and then Mm -hmm. to be nearly naked and feel even more vulnerable that is even more terrifying the intruders told Kevin that if she did as they said she would not be harmed they explained they wanted to take photos of Kevin in her underwear with sunglasses over her taped eyes in sexual poses with one of the assailants. They said that this was going to be a type of insurance, um, insurance that she would listen and that they would get what they wanted or they would release the photos. Hmm. Which is also sad because it's the 90s, so they knew that uh, sexual photos of a woman would just ruin her life, you know? Right. It's like, how dare a woman just take pictures with somebody and be just sexy and feminine. Yeah. Thankfully, Kevin was not sexually assaulted. Thank goodness. They just took these photos, which was still awful. Yes. Kevin dressed 
and was tied with her hands behind her back. They put her in the back of her car and they left her residence. At 11 p.m. from a nearby 7-Eleven payphone, because remember this is 1993, mm-hmm. so they used a payphone instead of a burner phone, a call was made to Stephen Wynn. Kevin was instructed to call her father and tell him that she had been kidnapped. Stephen Wynn was then given instructions on what to do to ensure his daughter's safe return. Stephen Wynn had obviously been targeted by these dirtbags because he was the chairman of the Mirage Resorts. He had access to multiple high-level casinos and was a well-known figure in Las Vegas. Yeah, so if if they're looking for money, I mean, he would be the guy to go to. And easy access to money, too. Mm -hmm. However, even with his connections, he told the kidnappers he could not come up with the $2.5 million they demanded of him that night. Hmm. He said the best he could do was $1.45 because that was the amount that was held in the casino vault at night. All right. And fortunately, the perps agreed to the amount. The kidnappers also tried to get him to get the money in uh, like small bills. And they're asking him these questions like if the if the stacks of money would have dye packs attached to them. Mm-hmm. And Steve Wynn told them it would be mostly large bills and no dye packs, both for the same reason, because this was a casino and not a goddamn bank. <laughs> so. Like, I can't ask for certain denominations of bills, you know? (laughs) And again, the kidnappers were like, okay, cool. Well, fine then. Okay, fine. Yeah, because clearly they don't know. They're dumbasses. Yeah. Wynn followed instructions. Stephen Wynn followed instructions. And after getting the money, he left it at the drop location, which was a nearby saloon parking lot. Then he was given Kevin's location, the parking structure at McCarran International Airport. Stephen Wynn had two associates with him. But he made sure he was the one to rush to his daughter's car, not knowing what he would find. Oh, my gosh. What a oh, – that is such a – I'd want to be the first one. But then I also do you want to be the first one if things went sour? Yeah. It would be one of those like your guts in a knot, mm-hmm. you can't breathe moments for yeah. sure. Fortunately, in the backseat of her car, under a pile of blankets, was his daughter, Kevin. She was safe. They were reunited, and the whole ordeal only took three hours. Oh, my goodness. So you might have noticed that Stephen Wynn didn't contact the police up to this point. I didn't, but now I did (laughs) because you told me. (laughs) Why, yes, I did. Uh, So he had a few reasons for not immediately contacting law enforcement, and they were kind of touched on differently in different things that I read and Mm -hmm. listened to. Stephen wasn't sure if the kidnappers were watching him because they always say they are, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. He might have been worried about the photos being leaked. I, I don't know. Or he, or even worse, happening to his daughter, which I think was the main concern. Right. Stephen had also had some disputes with local law enforcement, so maybe he just didn't trust them. I don't know. It's probably some of all of it. Yeah. It's usually never just one thing. Well, and being... Uh, a prominent businessman, probably dealing with business on a daily basis. It was probably like, you know, he went into business mode. I'm here to take care of business. Yeah. And getting my daughter back. Also, on top of all of that, Steve Wynn wasn't just going about this totally alone. His security chief, the late James Powers, was a former special agent in the Las Vegas FBI. Okay. So So he had some knowledge in his corner. Totally. And if I was in his position, I probably would have trusted the security chief and just tried to deal with it as quickly as possible. I don't know. That's so tough as a parent. It's a that's a I'm glad parents don't have to make these decisions all the time. I just knocked on wood because I'm not even thinking about that. Oh, let me do that. Knock on wood. Okay. 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 So I'm not sure, like you're saying, what's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's the right decision here. I don't know. But in this case, luckily it worked out. But after he got his daughter back, Steve was like, screw you assholes and called the cops. Yeah. Okay. So law enforcement became involved. The FBI worked with local police. The policing part of this was pretty interesting, in my opinion. Oh, okay. And 
I feel like that was the focus of the YouTube video I watched because mm-hmm. it was coming from part of the um, law enforcement side of this case. So that makes sense. Basically, this veteran agent named George Lyford really cracked the case wide open. Okay. They knew that kidnappers had used a payphone outside of a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Did they fingerprint the slushy machine? <laughs> And it all came down to a cherry slushy. Shut up. No. Oh. No, I <laughs> got so excited. <laughs> I thought you were being real. <laughs> and it all boiled down to a cherry slushy straw wrapper. <laughs> so because Kevin had used the 7-Eleven payphone and also it was right by Sunny's Saloon where the drop off was. So mm-hmm. they knew that that was the payphone that had been used. Um, so knowing this, Agent Lyford said to himself, well... If you are going to kidnap someone from this gated community where Kevin lives, you're probably going to have a lookout. He then realized that the closest payphone to Spanish Trolls Country Club, where Kevin's house was, was over at a nearby Carl's Jr. restaurant. Okay. What, do I, did I have to say Carl's Jr. restaurant? I couldn't just say Carl's Jr.? <laughs> like, who calls it a restaurant? So they pulled the records from the Carl's Jr. payphone. And the 7-Eleven payphone. They pulled all the phone records and they found that from both phones around the time of the crime, there were two common numbers. Oh no, here we go. A Sacramento, California number and a cell phone. Interesting. And cell phones in 93 were also kind of uncommon, so that automatically kind of raised a flag, right? Right. And... They traced it back and found that that cell phone had recently been purchased by Ray Cuddy. Boom, ka- wait, boom, kaboomski? How does it Bingo, go? Bingo, bango, kaboomski. Gotcha. <laughs> so who was Ray Cuddy? Well, the police were right. He was the mastermind behind this kidnapping slash extortion scheme. Uh-huh. Ray Cuddy was... <laughs> And when I read this, I totally read it in like that, who was Ray Cuddy? <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so You know good. what I mean? The yes. the like uh, uh, true crime, like sneaky voice. He was a former, I wish I could do it in that voice, but I'll laugh. He was a former circus performer <gasps> and blackjack dealer. Oh my goodness. He loved, <laughs> he loved fast cars. And cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's like Tuesday night, whatever. Uh, Cuddy was actually living in Newport Beach at the time of the crimes. He had previously lived in Las Vegas. Um, He had moved to Newport where he was trying and failing at owning a gym. He was in debt from his failed gym. Too many fast cars and cocaine. Too much. I mean, if you can't keep a gym going and freaking newport beach i mean come on oh you're doing something wrong buddy you're doing too much cocaine (laughs) and and performing in the circus too often (laughs) just high on cocaine on a tightrope you imagine it (laughs) he just does lines off the horses asses the circus horses he's just doing lines off their hindquarters, <laughs> and he's doing lines off clowns. He's doing lines off the lions when he gets like, real Ray, crazy. You don't even work here. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so he was in debt and he needed money. His accomplices were two men he had met when he still lived in Vegas. Their names were Jacob Sherwood and Anthony Watkins. And according to uh, that video I watched, there wasn't much about him in the articles. The articles were kind of skimpy on information on these guys, but Mm -hmm. they seemed to be petty criminals and perhaps they had gang ties. Okay. Circus gang. So the circus, they They, were in the circus. They were in the clown posse. Mm -hmm. The insane clown posse. (laughs) (laughs) That's their street name. (laughs) They worked at Circus Circus in the day and at night. They ran the streets. Yes. I wish I knew an ICP song. I'd I don't. Right now. I'm not my genre. Uh, wait. Talking about thugs for life. Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, one of my friends loved ICP in high school. So funny. <laughs> oh, I do. I know one. What? It goes, murder. Ready? Swing. Stab. 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 Oops. That's a police. 
Is that really how it goes? Yes. That's that's fitting for our uh, true crime episode. Yeah. I, I'm proud of you. I'm I'm so glad that my brain saved that information. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> so the FBI, they saw these common numbers. Mm-hmm. They tracked down these people. They started watching them. They had traced their activities. They saw that Ray Cuddy had come to Las Vegas. Like all the timelines f- matched up. The numbers matched up. Everything was lining up, right? Yes. So they were staking out Ray Cuddy just to kind of um, get more evidence, tie up loose ends, all that. Yeah, see if he's buying some new things, spending some money that he didn't have. Yeah, they wanted to get, they wanted this to be like an airtight case. And they also wanted to see if maybe Ray could lead them back to the money. Oh, okay. This is my favorite part of this story. All right. So the FBI was surveilling Cuddy. Like I said, tying up these loose ends, getting all the evidence that they could. And they sat there and they watched him make cash payments to a Newport Beach sports car dealership. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, the dealership was supposed to notify, like, I don't know. I don't know shit about shit. Like the IRS or something. If somebody is making this large of cash payments, they're supposed to be, they're supposed to notify somebody. They never did. Uh, Well, of course, business. It's that's business, baby. Like, I think the bank is also supposed to notify someone if you withdraw over a certain amount of money. Yeah. So nobody was notified. So, I mean, like, if the the FBI hadn't already knew that it was him, this wouldn't have gotten him caught. You know what I mean? Like just buying the sports car would not have gotten him caught if the FBI weren't already watching him. Yes. So the FBI is watching him make these huge cash payments to pay for this Ferrari. Yeah. Not suspicious at all. Way to be chill. And when he makes his last payment, (laughs) they arrest him. (laughs) So he never even got to take Okay. I love it. I love it that they let, they strung him along Watched him make all these payments, and he's like, one more payment. It's going to be mine. One more payment. It's mine, baby. And then he goes to make the payment, and they're like, gotcha. So funny. You wish, buddy. It was kind of a slam dunk case, thanks to the brilliance of Agent Lyford. I Mm -hmm. love the thought process of, you know, finding the payphones and matching up the records is just so smart to me. Yeah, it What what was that saying? You got to think like a criminal? Yeah, because you think about it, Mm -hmm. and it's like – a lot of times we think, oh, well, they didn't have the technology that we do now. It must mm-hmm. have been harder to solve these crimes. But at the same time, if they would have been using burner phones, mm-hmm. this might have been a totally different outcome because there was no physical evidence left at the crime scene. Yeah. And no way to track those burner phones. No, nothing to start with. Exactly. What's his face lived in Southern California. And if yeah. the dealership wasn't going to, you know, say anything about this purchase, like, I mean, you know, it they would have been in the cool. wind for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't know. I feel like the ICP gang might have talked about it. They Maybe. just seem like they would have bragged about it <laughs> in one of their raps or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. You're right. So these three men were convicted. Um, another man who might have been involved as a driver. Oh, I feel like that's kind of up in the air. Yeah. But he was definitely aware of the crimes because I think that money was stored at his residence. Mm-hmm. He testified against all of them. Okay. And so he was not charged. He yeah. was used as a witness. So he got immunity. Yeah. Um, and all the men have already served their time and are no longer in prison. Oh. Which is kind of crazy. I believe that Cuddy got served like 20 years. The uh-huh. other guys less than 10. You can serve less than 10 years for aggravated kidnapping. That's crazy. And extortion, I'm sure. Well, I think it was like, I mean, I don't think that that was the total sentencing. I think that's what they ended up serving. Ended up serving. Okay, like time served. All right. And like good behavior and all that. And it it is kind of crazy. I mean, 93 to us doesn't seem that long ago because we are (laughs) older than the planet Earth at this point. We are basically dust. But it was. It was a long time time ago. ago. It, yeah. it, we're stuck in this weird, like, where we think, oh, 93 is just like 10 years ago. Nope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 30 years. Also, in recent years, I found this in researching, which I was like, of course, there have been sexual misconduct allegations against Stephen Wynn. Steve Wynn. So he's been in the news about that recently. So if his name, 
you know, registered to anybody, that's where you might have seen yeah, that's it. that's fucking disappointing and disgusting. I didn't I honestly didn't get into it because yeah. I didn't want to focus on that. I, I don't know yeah. if I don't know if any of the allegations where they went. I just know the allegations are out there and I just felt it was my duty to say that, but I don't know if they were I don't know where they went. I yeah. don't know if they were proven, disproven. I don't know any of that. The important thing in this story is that Kevin made it out okay. So I tried to focus on that. Yeah. That is the most important thing. She was obviously traumatized, mm-hmm. but I'm happy that she was safe in the end. Yes. So that's a happy ending. Yes, it is a happy ending. Okay. Also, I wanted to end on a fun little bit of trivia for you all. Mm-hmm. I should have volunteered to go second because this is a fun ending. In Ocean's Eleven, uh-huh. the character played by Andy Garcia was based on Stephen Wynn. Oh. And he says the line, quote, if you should be picked up buying a $100,000 sports car in Newport Beach, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. <laughs> Which is a direct reference to this crime. Oh, my gosh. True crime deep cut. And guess what will happen if you drop that little nugget of trivia? You're, you're going to get effed. You're going to get fucked. <laughs> in a good way. Consensually. In a good way. You will, friends and lovers, flock to you. You may not get much from this little happy hour of ours, (laughs) but you will get a boost to your bar night trivia. Yes. Oh, that is such a brilliant writer's input and line. If you know that story, it's like a little Easter egg. Yeah, it is. It's a little Las Vegas Easter egg. The best kind. I think I might just watch that now. I'm not a fan of Ocean's Eleven. They're a little bit too slow for me, but... My husband I've never watched Notion, Ocean's Eleven. Eh, I've just wrong. seen bits of it because it's like some channels it'll just be on for four days because they don't have any like shows or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like between seasons. Yeah. And they just put Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen. They're not one of my favorite. I love a good heist, but for some reason I'm not a big fan of those. Um, but that is a wonderful little Easter egg. And I appreciate that a little bit more than I had before we started this episode. Yeah, I I honestly feel like that might win you Jeopardy. If you win Jeopardy based on that fact, please give us a five-star review on Apple Pod. Yeah, and we we want a good review, and you need to subscribe, and you also need to kick us back a little something-something. Just send us, like, the fanciest six-pack of naughty light you can find. A diamond-encrusted bar spoon will do. Different ends of the spectrum. Okay. Well, that's my story. That was a fantastic story. And I want to end on this because this is such a, I think everybody will enjoy this. Okay. Speaking of Ocean's Eleven, Brad Pitt played in Ocean's Eleven. And right now on Netflix Mm -hmm. is A River Runs Through It. And let me tell you, that man could melt the polar ice caps. He is so fine. <laughs> I heard that that is his one of his hottest movies. He is. I watched it the other night, and I was beside myself at how beautiful he is. I I literally just heard that that is one of his hottest roles. Oh my god! He uh, I can't even speak. But honestly, if you if you were gonna say Benjamin Button was his hottest role, I was gonna tell you to get the hell out of here. You know, only at the beginning of the movie is he the hottest. <laughs> when he's old, there's three and a half minutes of hot Brad Pitt in that movie. It is the most frustrating movie. I know he's. It's right in the middle when he's like thirty for two days, yes. <laughs> and the rest of it, he's either too old or too young. It's weird either way, except right in the middle. And then you get this weird complex, like, he was just an old man. He's going to be a baby in a couple days. I don't know. It's weird. Also, if you Google Benjamin Button, the first, like, five things that pop up, you know, like, in the Google Uh drop down Mm -hmm. are, like, is Benjamin Button disease real? And it makes (laughs) me laugh every time. Oh, my gosh. Tell us what your favorite bad pit is. Old Benjamin Button or A River Runs Through It. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us what your favorite Brad Pitt movie is. And because I think maybe we'll have a random one and done where we just rank hot Brad Pitt (gasps) movies. It's fine. I think you just landed on 
the best one and done idea I've ever heard. We're just going to rank Brad Pitt's hot movies. <laughs> done. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you so much for listening. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. We hope you're enjoying the Vegas block. I am. Me too. We only have a couple left and then we'll be on to. Then it's a newer, new year. New green things. pastures. Yes. Green acres. Newer green pastures. Newer green pastures. We're going with that. I like it. That's t-shirt material. Smooth. <laughs> you know, smooth intros, smooth outros. That's the outros. That's, that's how we do it. Would we be on brand if we did anything else? Absolutely not. So on that note, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And please, if you can, if you have a minute, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means so much to little podcasts like ours. It gives us such a big boost and we notice each and every one of you and appreciate you for listening and for everything that you do. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. And don't forget, love yourself, lock your doors, and light some incense. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Are you that weirdo? Are you that weirdo? Yeah. No, are you that weirdo? I'm that weirdo. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) 